Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the scientific community considers vaccines basically a settled issue. Find out why that doesn't sit well with a group of Mississippi parents. He was my third child, and he had convulsions after his kindergarten shots. One pertussis booster, they're required five for kindergarten. He had four. And that was not good enough for the state of Mississippi. They excluded him from kindergarten. He could have gone to school in Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, or Tennessee. Plus, high school students across the state are getting a little boost with their life-saving CPR training. And in this week's book club, a Mississippi writer spins a story of friendship, love, and life on the railroad. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A group of Mississippi parents say they should have the right to decide whether and when their children are vaccinated. The group, Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights, is lobbying lawmakers to pass a bill that would allow parents to opt out of the state's strict vaccination schedule. Representative Mark Formby, a Republican from Picayune, has authored a bill that would do just that. Formby tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why this is an issue close to his heart. You know, about seven years ago, this begin to get on my radar screen. I have an autistic son. Uh, I'm not blaming vaccinations on this autism, but it did give me some insight into autism. It also placed me in hospitals in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee with other parents of autistic children who also had some epileptic issues. So I began to talk to these parents. There was actually a, um, a, a move in the late 90s on this issue, and I was in the house, and I ignored it. I didn't have anything to do with it. I kind of ran from it, to be, all on, be honest. But when I started getting around these parents who were not physicians, but they were mamas and daddies, and they would look me in the eye and they would say, I swear to you, my child was normal, was, was hitting all his targets two weeks after his vaccinations, after certain vaccinations, and they're different for different people, uh, they began to digress. So it became, I began to kind of look into it. The more you study, the more you realize, first of all, that every drug has an ill effect on somebody. You see it on TV. You see, you see tons of lawyers on television saying, if you took this drug, call me because it causes damage and we'll sue. Well, this industry can't be sued. They have a federal law that will not allow you to sue them, so you can't get recourse there. So the only thing you can do is you can just sit and cry about it. You can watch your child grow up hurt. And again, I'm not blaming it on mine. Mine, I think, had, had his issues at birth. But for those other parents, they then get to look at their second child or their third child and decide, do I want to risk this 
on them, especially for measles, mumps, chicken pox, which people, I'm 60, in my generation, we're all immune from it because we had it. So what will this bill do? Uh, this bill will give a, a, a mom and dad the option to say we want to spread them out, pick and choose, or take none of them and still allow them to go to school. By the way, you're hearing all these horrendous things that will happen when we do that. 36 other states have been doing this for 30 years. 47 states have had medical provisions for that amount of time. None of the horrors have happened in any of the states. So it's all propaganda. It's just propaganda. I mean, the if you ever want to know uh, what, what the effect of a law will do, look at a state that has the law. 47 states give parents some exemption rights on vaccines. 47 states are fine, healthy. Their kids are mostly healthier than ours, if you think about it. And for those parents who are saying, I don't want your unvaccinated child hanging out with my vaccinated child, vaccinated child there's some, there, that's ludicrous also because if you're vaccinated against the disease, then you're vaccinated against the disease unless the vaccination doesn't work. Representative Mark Formby of Picayune, who says he plans to have his bill filed by the end of the week. Mary Jo Perry is with the group of parents fighting for fewer vaccine requirements. She says she does not consider herself anti-vaccination. In fact, with a couple of exceptions, she says her son has a mostly complete set of vaccinations. Perry bristles at the idea that a doctor's medical education makes him or her more qualified to distinguish mental and behavioral differences in a child than a parent who lives with that child every day. Well, I think you kind of get into a sticky situation when you start allowing a medical professional to decide what the education status is of a mother and whether or not she deserves rights based on her education. Um, the fact is we can look at 47 other healthier states that allow parents, like Louisiana, for instance, any parent can just turn over a piece of paper and sign on the back that they're altering the schedule, that they're not following the, you know, what's the mandated schedule, and their child can go to school. Um, here in Mississippi, we have a big problem because, you know, with the instance of my child who, like I said, was fully vaccinated, um, kindergarten shots, had seizures from it, which, by the way, they're starting to tell us is normal. Yeah, I was vaccinating my children. Um, he was my third child, and he had convulsions after his kindergarten shots. And um, my doctor could not even get an exemption for him. And so he missed kindergarten based on one pertussis booster. They're required five for kindergarten. He had four. And that was not good enough for the state of Mississippi. They excluded him from kindergarten. He could have gone to school in Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, or Tennessee, or any other state in the nation, with the exception of Mississippi and West Virginia, and just more recently, California. Because the drug companies, are they have this big push now. It's an agenda to vaccinate everybody, cradle to grave. Healthy People 2020 is the name Inauguration of the Day agenda. Is right and um, and there, there is a, a harder push than ever. We're vaccinating for more diseases than we ever have. The U.S. vaccinates for more diseases than any other country. Um, we have the highest coverage rates that we've ever had, and yet we've got this big push to take away parents' rights, and we see that as a problem. So, um, you know, I feel that I've been called to speak out for these families. You know, I can keep my children home. Uh, I homeschool, but there are families that don't have that option, and I don't think that because... My husband has a good job and we can afford it, that my children should have the privilege of, you know, their parents picking and choosing, you know, whether or not, say, to have the hepatitis B vaccine. There are mothers that can't afford to do that, and their children should not be subjected to this ridiculous schedule because she's, you know, she's a single mother. She should have the same rights that I have. Mary Jo Perry of the group Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights. 
Dr. Sandy Feldman is a pediatric disease expert and professor emeritus at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Feldman says he's old enough to have seen firsthand the improvements vaccines have made in American public health. I was in training and around the time of the 1960, late 1960s and early 70s. And in fact, before I came to UMC, I was at St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis, where I was involved in vaccines for children with cancer and then became involved with vaccines for normal, healthy children when I came to the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And I was there when measles was a real problem. You saw cases of measles all the time, et cetera. We even saw cases of diphtheria. Again, this was back in the late 1960s. Well, now Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights um, are at the Capitol, and they are concerned about the number of vaccines. They showed a list. They had a banner with a list of them on, uh, more than 50, I believe, a series that uh, children are now required to take. They sort of embellish it. It's not really 50 different vaccines, by the way. Well, actually, the list was... Quite extensive. Uh, yeah, but they what they include what they also include, I guess, is multiple doses of the same vaccine. It would be nice if you could give one shot and one vaccine, and that would end everything. But that's not the real world. It takes often multiple doses to build up immunity. And again, the reason for max vaccines is very simple: they save lives. The opposite of saving lives is children dying of vaccine-preventable diseases. And if you look at all the data that's gone on since the early days of the polio vaccine back in the 1950s, vaccines basically save lives and they're safe. There are side effects of vaccines, but the overwhelming benefit of the vaccine far outweighs any of the side effects that uh, some of the anti-vaccine people are concerned about. They are not so much concerned about uh, vaccines as a whole. They said that some are needed, but they feel like they have no say in what vaccines they can be forced to make their children uh, take. They want some role in the decision-making, basically. You know, you've got to look at it from the point of view of public health, and the field of medicine, and they've determined that these are the vaccines that children need. In fact, there are vaccines in this country children don't get. They don't get yellow fever vaccine. We don't have, yellow fever is not a problem here. And I can go on and name several other vaccines. So the ones that we are using in this country have been determined as necessary. Parents don't have the education. They don't really know about vaccine-preventable diseases, and that, that makes all the difference. One uh, vaccine that was brought up was hepatitis B, that children have to get that. Actually, newborns right. are required to get that. Why, uh, does it, why would they have to get that vaccine, and isn't it for sexually transmitted diseases? The answer to your second part is yes. The first part is, unfortunately, if you have hepatitis B and you are a woman and you are pregnant, you will give that to the baby. End of story. That baby will get it from you. And by giving the baby the vaccine at birth, and they give something called HBIG, if they know the mother is infected because they test her, then you go ahead and you protect the baby. 
So the best time to give that vaccine is at birth. What about people who have incidents where uh, they say that their child got sick after being vaccinated or developed autism after being vaccinated? Well, let's take the autism first. That's the easiest thing to deal with. That has been studied for the last 10 or 15 years in depth. What the anti-vaccine parents don't tell you is that the author of that paper, who was from England, was found to have falsified the data. And in fact, his co-workers who were on the paper with him, when they found out that that data was falsified and skewed in a direction that pointed towards autism, they withdrew their support of the paper. They didn't even know about it, and they were the co-authors. So the one who promulgated that has been debunked for having given false information, and then studies went on and looked at that and have repeatedly shown there's no association with autism. Dr. Sandy Feldman with our Desiree Frazier. We also heard from Mary Jo Perry of the group Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights and Representative Mark Formby of Picayune. Find out how high school students across the state are getting a little boost with their life-saving CPR training. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you have a vehicle that you no longer need, maybe it's collecting dust, we have a solution. Donated to MPB. Your donation will go towards supporting your favorite programs that keep the community informed. To get more information about our car donation program, visit mpbonline.org. That's mpbonline.org. Your vehicle donation can make all the difference. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. High school students across Mississippi are gaining access to life-saving CPR training. Currently, CPR training is a graduation requirement in Mississippi. The Mississippi Healthcare Alliance and the American Heart Association are partnering to deliver CPR kits to all Mississippi high schools who don't already have them. Dr. Harper Stone is with the Healthcare Alliance. CPR, we know, saves lives. It's been proven over and over again that bystander CPR will make will have more people will live with that and get out of the hospital. And you know, just to tell you what the numbers are, when you have a hundred people outside the hospital that that die suddenly at their home or in a restaurant, only seven out of a hundred will walk out of the hospital close to normal. If you do bystander CPR. 33 out of 100 will walk out of the hospital normal. That's a big jump in, uh, in, in how many people will not die or either go to a nursing home or, or some type of LTAC unit where they're brain dead, basically, or, or, or they have, they're, they're in a coma. What That's, specifically is CPR doing? It's keeping the heart pumping? It, CPR is pumping the blood from the heart all through the body. And it's uh, perfusing your brain, getting blood to the brain, blood to the kidneys, blood to everywhere in your body. And uh, this is a way of trying to maintain some type of oxygenation circulation until somebody can get there and either use an AED and, you know, give them a shock if they're in a, a dangerous rhythm problem or, or if they're, you know, or, or maybe possibly pace them with a temporary pacemaker or something like that. Bystander CPR, though, has been, you know, you just honestly think about this. 
when you ha- if your mom were to fall out and in, in a restroom and nothing's done and she's down for 10 minutes and she gets to a hospital, there's a possibility that she will be on a breathing machine for two months and then she dies. She never wakes up, you know, everything fails, her kidneys fail and, her, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, it's a mis- it's very, very miserable to have to live through that with any family and their, and their, and their loved ones because nobody took the initiative to do CPR. And, you know, if you can increase that number from 7 out of 100 to 33 out of 100 by just doing CPR, it makes a huge difference on people's lives and, and families, loved ones, uh, you know, in order to get them home. Describe what a CPR kit is that will be in the schools. They have a kind of a small torso of a mannequin with, a you know, you know kind of a head and a, and a chest. And, you know, what they do is they have the instructions with it, and they, and then you have an instructor. We're having trained instructors to come in and show the kids how to do um, hands, uh, hands-only CPR, not doing the mouth-to-mouth or anything like they have done in the past. Because a lot of people, as you know, if you got a stranger out there, you're not – that people have held back on that a lot of times, not want to do – you know, the, you know, CPR and then doing the breasts and then CPR and, and doing that. We, now you just do CPR without doing, uh, you know, doing any kind of uh, breathing form or anything like that. And that hopefully that has increased participation in this. And it's also really doesn't make, make a huge difference in outcome uh, doing it that way versus the other way. So, you know, these kits are there so that the trained people will go and show the kids in the schools how to do CPR if they find somebody down without a pulse. It would seem that CPR may be intimidating for some because you have to push on the chest at a certain rhythm and you have to push hard or it might intimidate someone and go, I don't want to hurt the person. This training, I guess, would help them know exactly what rhythm and how hard to push? That's correct. And, you know, and like you're saying, it's it's, – you know, people are scared to you know to do it because I I don't really know what to do. I I don't know where do I where do I put my ch- hands down to do the compressions. This tells them all that they know. If somebody goes down, they'll know exactly how to determine where they put their hands, and also, you know, about the compressions and how, you know how hard to do and that type of thing. They go through all that with them, so that you know once they understand that they're more likely to participate in in taking care of somebody who needs their help. Dr. Harper Stone is president of the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance. He says in all, 176 CPR training kits will be donated to high schools across the state. A Mississippi writer spins a story of friendship, love, and life on the railroad. That's next in this week's book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Inauguration Day is right around the corner, and Chapter 1 of a new administration is set to begin. As stories take shape, NPR will be here with coverage you can depend on to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. I'm Robin Young. Sixteen writers take on the meaning of Michelle, the impact of the First Lady on others, including kids. Get out there and use that education to build a country worthy of your boundless promise. And know that I will be with you. (laughs) Next time, here and now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Howard Barr is a Vietnam veteran from Meridian who also spent time working on the railroad. That work on the rails figures heavily into his new novel, Pelican Road. In this week's book club, Barr talks about the book's unlikely journey to publication. In 2008 or so, a man named David Poindexter from McAdam Cage, a reputable publisher, came down into this country and he lured a number of folks from Oxford and me into sending him manuscripts, which he promised he would take good care of and give us a lot of publicity and so on and so on. As it turned out, we got very little return from him. The books were published. Uh, I got no royalties. I got a $5,000 check through my agent that bounced and I had to send it back. Pelican Row was never reviewed. It was never advertised. It ended up being published on the Isle of Man uh, in, by some convoluted path. Where is the Isle of Man? It's uh, it's up uh, off the coast of England. The thing had, had finally just died, gone out of print. But Stephen Yates of the University Press of Mississippi is, is, a, is a good friend of mine, a man I admire highly. And he and I talked about the possibility of the University Press republishing or reissuing the novel. And so uh, the happy ending is that Pelican Road, with a nice new cover, a cover that actually reflects the content of the novel, is now being published by the University Press of Mississippi. So in a sense, it is brand new because no one's read it, yes, except ma'am. for those in the Isle of Man. Uh, well, very few people read it because, as I say, it was never reviewed, never advertised. I did get some nice responses on Amazon. <laughs> That's the only place I ever saw anybody's reactions. The nice cover that you refer to has a train engine. That's a clue as to what this well, book is a, about. It's a Pacific locomotive of the Southern Railway, which is the railroad in the book, the green and silver passenger engines, so beautiful. And um, that is the kind of engine that is on the freight train or on the passenger train in the in the novel. It takes place in 1940 on Christmas Eve. Yes, ma'am. Between uh, Meridian, Mississippi and New Orleans, the old New Orleans Northeastern route, which became the Southern Railroad, which is now, who knows what it is now. Give us a sense of what the book's about. I tried to, um, th- th- there's several difficulties with, with writing a book like this. First of all, there's a, railroading, like any specialized profession, has a specialized vocabulary. And so a lot of terms and words and so forth that I used, or that I had to use in the book, I had to decide whether to just let the reader figure them out for themselves or add a glossary in the back. I do not like any apparatus to be attached to novels. I don't think that's right. The novel itself is the thing. So I just tried to make the the uh, what was happening clear in the context of the story. Uh, the story is about a southbound freight train and a northbound passenger train. And, uh, of course, you can pretty well figure out from the beginning what's going to happen at the end. And it does happen because of uh, human error. But what the story is is really about and what I wanted to tell about was the railroading life, which many people know nothing about, especially in the days of steam. The uh, hardships, the alienation, the loneliness, the difficulties, the great danger of living and working on the railroad, and also the, the glory and the, and the, the enjoyment and, and the sense that you are participating in a way of life, not just a job, but a way of life that you are proud of. You talk about this language that is different. Can you give us an example? All right, Max, uh, back over the crossover. We're going to come down to number three, double over to number two, and then we'll go down to the shop and get the crummy. <laughs> okay. What's a crummy? That's a caboose. 
<laughs> Some, that's an old word. But we'll be able to figure out as we read. Yes, ma'am, I think so. The The language does not get in the way. It's It's like reading a novel of the sea. If you read a sailing ship novel, it's full of esoteric terms that uh, the reader simply has to accept and uh, and not worry about it and get past it. What does the title mean, Pelican Road? I was envisioning the old New Orleans Northeastern from Meridian to New Orleans, and I just kind of made up the legend that, that this railroad, well, it actually did follow an old road and between the two cities and... Um, the railroad men call it Pelican Road. Um, it's There is no pelican in the book, <laughs> but the symbol of Louisiana is uh, a pelican. So that's where it comes from, sort of, I guess. We've been speaking with Howard Barr, who is the author of Pelican Road. And I thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. Yes, ma'am. My pleasure. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, MPB Season Pass. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi. Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. It's Marketplace Tech for January 12th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. President-elect Donald Trump's first press conference since last summer saw him mention...